to The Business of Being Brilliant, where I explore the human side of work. I talk to business leaders, academics, authors and other experts about what's helped them to work at their best and how we can create organisations where everyone can flourish. I'm your host, Helen Beedham, organisational expert, speaker and award-winning author of the Amazon best-selling business book, The Future of Time. You'll find the show notes at helenbeedham.com where you can also sign up for my insights into the latest work trends, plus some exclusive offers to help you flourish at work and home. Now, let's crack on with this week's episode. Hello, welcome back to the podcast for the start of a new series. How was your summer? Did you make do with the British weather or did you bask in hot temperatures abroad? We did the former, with a week in Cornwall without much beach action and a week on the Kent coast where we pretty much lived on the beach. I even tried surfing again after a two decade break. Yes, I fell off a lot. Yes, the waves were pretty tiny. And yes, I eventually managed to stay on. Hurrah! I'm now dying to go back and try it again. However you spent the summer, I hope you're feeling refreshed and ready for the autumn. Are you embarking on something new or picking up with the status quo again? I'm heading for a super busy autumn, giving talks and running workshops to help teams and individuals work in more time-intelligent ways. I'll be speaking at the Mad World Conference in London in October and also at a fantastic leadership retreat in early November, hosted by Charlotte Wiseman Associates. Links to both events are in the show notes, in case you're interested in checking these out and booking yourself a place. The other exciting news, totally unwork related is that on the day this episode airs, we're welcoming a new member of the Beedham family. We are rehoming a young rescue cat, a tabby called Maisie who's had a really tough start in life. It feels a big change for us as a family. We've only had chickens, obviously outdoors, to date, and I'm currently eyeing up our unscratched furniture with a sense that some things will definitely be ending as we head into this new beginning together. (laughs) I'm welcoming some brilliant guests to the show this series. We'll be talking about scaling up new ventures, midlife women and their careers, collective intelligence, social bonds at work, and much more. I hope our conversations inspire and entertain you and give you some food for thought to help you be even more brilliant in your work life. Kicking off the series, my first guest tells us about how her belief in the extraordinary has been behind her career choices, ambitions, and many achievements. Have a listen. My guest this week is Kate Adams, who's a director at the Forward Institute, an organisation specialising in responsible leadership. Kate has over 20 years experience working in both the private sector as a human capital consultant and in-house at executive and non-executive level for social purpose organisations such as Comic Relief, Nesta, Tech Nation, Missing People and the British Paralympic Association. She's a firm advocate for the role that leaders can and must play 
to deliver the change and impact that society needs. Over 90% of organisations are committed to tackling societal issues, but less than 40% are acting. Kate helps senior leaders to take accountability, navigate and close that gap. Welcome to the business of being brilliant, Kate. Wow, thanks, Helen. Thanks for having me. Oh, I'm so pleased to get you on the show. We, we've known each other for a number of years. I'm not going to say how many because we kind of worked together in our consulting days quite early in our careers. And uh, it's been lovely to see your fantastic career since then and chat to you more recently about some of the roles you've had along the way and, and uh, what you're particularly passionate about and focused on doing at the moment. So looking forward to digging all into all of that over the next 20 minutes, half an hour with you. It is a bit intimidating being on a podcast called In the Business of Being Brilliant when... <laughs> I haven't thought about that from a guest perspective. Instant pressure to be brilliant. <laughs> no, well, you know all about creating businesses that allow people to do to, to work at their best and, and to contribute at their best and and to be a brilliant organization. So we'll approach it in that light. <laughs> so we're gonna talk particularly about the notion of responsible leadership we'll unpack that a bit about what it means and and your current role how you help promote that um, but we're also going to be chatting a bit about your career generally and also digging into the nature of some of the pressures that leaders face today and how they can cope with that as well a bit from your own experience at very senior levels but before we get into that I wanted to ask when you're not working and you're not in work mode, what's a favourite way to spend some downtime? What do you most like to do? Typically be in nature. It's kind of the antithesis, isn't it? So I love doing yoga. I have a, an, an app on my phone that takes terrible to take tech, but I will typically go and be outside by the coast is my happy place. If I can't get to the coast, just be outside, go for a walk, do some yoga disconnect actually is is I think that where I recharge yeah so that and then I think that's how if I'm thinking about my own self-care and recharging and then if not then being being with the family playing yeah playing doing doing fun things and having a laugh yes because there's nothing like that to really help you unwind is there whether it's playing a round of cards or just chatting or playing a game of cricket in the garden or something yeah. it's amazing yeah. how it just focuses you on the present moment you let helps you let go of everything else yeah and I think I think that's the trick is it's the present moment and I think that's probably why I reach for yoga sometimes is because when you're trying to just when you're not working and you're doing other things it's how do you live in the present because life goes too fast yes. work makes life go even faster and I think that that constant balance of how do I be in the present and make the most of what this day brings me is is hard when you're when you're driving on whatever career trajectory you you're, you're kind of driving on. And I think especially when it's a sort of purpose sense in your work, you you feel real meaning. It's funny how people all want meaning in 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 their roles, but the downsides of that is you drive yourself really hard. Yes, that's really interesting to hear. And I I think you're absolutely right. We live quite wrapped up in what's coming up tomorrow, the rest of the week. Quite a lot of the time we're thinking about what's in our schedule, our to-do list, what we're working towards, either individually or in an organisation. And it can be so hard to just enjoy today 
and focus on today and let go of all those things that we want to accomplish or we have to remember and not forget yeah a real dose of reality which is you know humility and I'm 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 just a (laughs) just a person winging it trying to have you know have a good fun life and do the best by what they do I'm blessed to have children there's nothing like having children to realize that you're you're pretty bad at lots of things <laughs> I know well you're winging it very impressively That's amazing, isn't it? <laughs> but I have the same when I like pets do the same we have a pet chicken I mean I, it's very grounding to leave my desk go out and sort out her feeder and pick up chicken poo and stuff because it's like okay this is the other side of me that not many people see precisely and that's probably the real part of me really is just you know i i I, I believe in extraordinary and that drives me a lot. And I now have a nice piece of artwork that says that hanging on my wall. And I've grown up with extraordinary from having a, um, a brother with cerebral palsy and just seeing his extraordinary life every day through to then I've tried to position myself in my career in extraordinary environments. And I love learning from that kind of navigating and strength and determination and focus of improvement and, or advancement or progress or whatever words people want want to use. So I think, you know, at home I'm I'm well and at work, I'm I'm just doing the best I can by the outcomes I'm trying to get. And at work, I guess we're always encouraged to be pushing forward into the next results or the outcomes and the goals we want. And at home I, I have less about goals, I suppose. It's more about each day and yeah. being present and enjoying the day because we don't know how many days we have right so how do you that you go to bed at night and think today was a was a good day or this week was a good week or what can I do to make sure that that right now things feel right and that's hard I think as a as a mum trying to think about my you know my my kids and how I raise them trying to think about how how to be a decent leader you know all, all those things so that's that's a lot to juggle so yeah, when I'm not working, I just try and have some fun and and quiet time and recharge and yeah, smile lots. <laughs> yeah. That's lovely, and I think that will resonate for everybody listening and actually be quite comforting and a great reminder to us not to yeah put put too much on ourselves all the time and expect so much of ourselves and to just just be occasionally. But to come back to your words there about your career and striving for excellence whatever shape that takes is that something that you were always conscious of from early in your career what's guided the moves that you've made throughout your career has there been a plan (laughs) (laughs) great question and people ask me that quite a lot no that I can I can create it as if there was a plan but it's not true (laughs) (laughs) it's the hindsight plan (laughs) Which is always perfect. <laughs> yeah, I bought the jigsaw after I've I found the picture, and, and it's still going. But the I think what I do know that shaped it is a few things. One is I've always been interested in people in organisations. So when when you come out of school and, and I was lucky to have a really strong education, there's this expectation that I'd go into business, and I thought I don't want to do the numbers side. I want to do the people side. So hence I ended up at, at Towers Perrin doing sort of human resource consulting work and there I learned about people and how they drive performance in organizations and then I I was also then sort of really interested in when people are driving organizations what's the role of people in society beyond just sort of private sector organizations 
and that's when I got the chance to be in organizations like Comic Relief and Nesta and Missing People and it's it's people driving society right so I've always been really interested in the role of people in in organizations and performance people in social change um people that just look at the role that they're playing and try to drive for progress and that's always really inspired me so I guess I'm lucky enough I managed to work in places with people that inspire me and have helped teach me how to do those kind of things too and then so get to a level where it's like now I can actually I've got the skill set to to drive pull this together and, and and drive it myself so people have always been a big theme I guess which has guided me I think the other thing around I feel really lucky that I've been able to play in that space between a commercial world and a and a social change world. So whether that's working with the private sector on it, its broader role in society, or whether it's working not for profits, thinking about how they become financially sustainable, and how they then can plan longer term to have more meaningful change. And a lot of people don't realise how similar that is people think that charities know how to make social change happen or that charities have an innate purpose and meaning in them and it's really interesting that actually charities struggle with the strategic impact like organizations do in terms of coming back to was there a plan and how my career shaped it's always been about people I think it's always been about progress and then I've been lucky enough that I've moved that from being around in the corporate world to being around Comet Relief's vision was very much a just world free from poverty. So understanding about UK development, international development, and then and looking at how people make change happen from government to corporates to not-for-profit sectors and how they come together to do that. And then through to there's this big tech digital fourth industrial revolution hurtling towards us. What's that doing for the role people are playing in shaping society? So that's when I went to Nesta and got amazing opportunities and insights into AI and what harm could that do versus what's the opportunity and so yeah I guess curiosity people curiosity and progress are probably things that have kept making me move and and go and learn new things yeah that's so interesting and fantastic that you've discovered that you can work in organizations and in roles that blend the commercial and the third sector, the more public service oriented organisations, because a lot of people would think, oh, it has to be either or, I mean, the public sector or private sector or charity sector, but actually, it's more of a Venn diagram, and you're playing right at the heart of it. And and was was there a particular light bulb moment when you realised that actually, you wanted to bring in more or gain more experience or bring in more relevant content from and context from that bigger social picture, the social impact picture, was there, or was it just a natural progression from the roles you happened to take on? So I was thinking, is there a moment when you suddenly thought, I don't just want to focus on the commercial world and on profit and stakeholders and all that. I want to have a, a bigger lens. Yeah, I think the the move actually from Tower's Parent to Comet Relief was a, was a bit more opportunist than that. I actually... I actually had a sabbatical from Towers Perrin and the opportunity to work in Comet Relief. And within the first two, three months, the chief exec had said, will you come run my world? And I was like, oh, actually, I hadn't really thought about that. But after thinking long and hard on what it meant with halving my salary and totally different, you know, I just got a mortgage. So I thought, actually, no, this this feels more like life to me. It had more meaning and, and, and a lot of fun and a lot of relevance. Relevance has always been important. I think for me, 
it's like a drinks party when people say, what do you do? And you say, I work, I work in management consultancy. And they're like, oh, okay. And they, they're kind of like, you know, conversation. There's no follow-up like, question. <laughs> there isn't. It's a bit of a conversation then, killer. <laughs> and then I used to go to the party or the pub or something and meet, meet people. And they're like, oh, what do you do? And I was like, I work at Comrade. Really <gasps> Have you met Lenny Henry? Have, you know, and straight away. It's like, oh, even just really interesting how other people yeah. have. I didn't do it for other people, but it was quite interesting to <laughs> observe the difference. Yeah. Um, so I think that wasn't an aha moment per se, except the times at Towers Perrin then, it was just pre-IPO. Things were really commercially focused. And I think it felt more commercial than ever being in the organisation at that time. And I felt like there was a much bigger squeeze on people. And I think that also made me probably think, how am I in this organisation? Am I an asset? Am I a talent? Am I what am I? And actually, being deeply human and valued and valuable was important to me. And so, I think the the opportunity came at a time when it was probably a bit in Towers Perrin's history of, of probably one of its most commercial moments. Thinking about what does it do next, which which probably was a, a slight push factor from that. But I loved just I loved my time there, and I learned so much, and my career grounding. Even now, a lot of my skills have come from the mm. training I had at, at, at Towers Perrin. But so I think I'd I'd got enough that I could build more of a career from that. So yes. hence hence moving across. The Nesta move was definitely an aha moment about I just couldn't understand why. I kept seeing stories in the press about people might lose jobs, the robots are coming. And those kind of stories. And I said, people are designing those robots why would people be designing something that puts people out of a job when everybody needs to, to earn money to put food on the table and for, for their house and just really basic human you know basic Maslow human needs why would we be shifting society in a way that is detrimental to communities and I, I think that was when I started reading more and I didn't realise there was a whole school of thought out there about that. And that's when I found Nesta and was lucky enough to, to get a job there where it's actually, yes, there's a lot of people thinking about this. How do we shape? And, and WEF do a lot of work on this as well, the World Economic Forum, around how do we shape society? I had a side hustle with um, a, a friend, actually. She's fantastic. And it was uh, called Society 5.0, which is... How do we start to think about what the shape of society will look like after the fourth industrial revolution? Because if we're not thinking about that and we walk blindly into it, it's it's people. We're all we get to choose, right? As much as people say we don't have control, humans get to choose how we shape society. Really, I know there's a lot of other factors. And in fact, I guess we we are at the moment being influenced by climate change, but that's the Anthropocene era, which is we have accelerated that even the climate we don't control but we do influence heavily so when it comes to tech Nesta was an aha moment of I just thought I really want to be part of understanding what are people doing to society that could have opportunity and harm and how would we make sure it falls on the right side of that balance yeah fascinating Uh, and to your point about shaping society now with the latest technology I think I think the awareness that that we have choices in that is hotting up with chat GPT and then the whole conversation about should we pause progress on artificial intelligence to figure out the moral and ethical do's and don'ts around it is quite interesting. And I think the questions a little earlier that you asked yourself 
when you were mulling over whether to stay or, or leave at Towers Perrin, you know, what am I in this organization? Am I a number? Am I an asset? How am I valued? Those are great mm. questions for people listening to think about if they're having a moment of reflection or pondering mm. whether to move or go. Um, so let's let's skip forward to today and your work and your role at the Forward Institute. Can you explain what you do there and what the organisation's about and just unpack the term responsible leadership a little bit? Yeah, yeah, good question. So at the Forward Institute, we've been going for eight years. The founder, Adam Gudetsi, is our chief exec. And we're sort of pivoting a little bit at the moment. So we were founded very much with this sense of we know that people at the top of organisations and the way they lead impacts on society. And I, th- I think lots of people know that. How they respond to it is different, right? So the that time was just the financial crash. There was lots of talk about who knew that these deals or these actions were going to potentially lead to these high-risk situations. And we've now got everyday people really, really struggling as a result of of, I mean, at the time, I think it was quite a bit of banker bashing and what, whoever's to blame, I'm not not sort of so interested in, but it was really clear that the influence of leaders in powerful organisations uh, and influential organisations really needs to be thought about carefully. So Adam set us up eight years ago. It was Sir Anthony Saltz that was leading the Saltz Review. That's why it's called the Saltz Review. And he's our chairman. And so they started with various organisations like the Army, like BCG, like Tesco, various organisations that save the children and there's others that all came together to start setting up a way of, I guess, an executive programme that leaders could start to think about how do they take this more responsible lens in the way they they lead. And that was eight years ago. So we've grown, we've now got six, seven hundred people across the city and Whitehall who have been through our programme and continue to come through. And that's very much how we started. The premise then being it's not just for individuals, it's how they then lead their organisations. So it's how the idea being that responsible leaders mean responsible organisations, which then means a better society. That's the simplistic way of looking at it. We very much believe the private sector can learn from the public sector and the third sector. So we were really keen to put all of those together. It's funny, some people don't, don't realise they're going to have a challenge that they could support each other on. And we get such incredible feedback from people saying it was those different perspectives that really changed the way we thought about a problem and how we showed up in the way that we lead. So the Ford Institute's very much sprung up from, from that space. And now we're, we're I mean, it's, it's amazing. And one of the reasons I'm so happy to be here is that movement around the role of leadership in society and the role of organisations in society is a much bigger conscience about that. I think it's challenging because we see in the press a lot, right, that those that say we've got purpose and meaning, we're trying to do goods in society and put their heads above the parapet are, are also subject to some pretty heavy scrutiny. And I think it's we have to be really careful. One of the things we believe at the Ford Institute is we have to be comfortable with a dose of hypocrisy that people aren't all good and all bad leaders are human beings who are navigating really difficult things so we are a critical friend to them and non-judgmental in that we'll hold up mirrors we will not always say popular things to them but that sense of how do you navigate to I guess 
what would be the right outcomes in the situation. But who's judging that is really, really difficult. I mean, I love it. It's a really interesting space in the sense of, I think a lot of people assume leaders have the answers, that leaders are good people Mm. or bad people, that there is a toolkit that tells you how to fix the culture of an organisation that's toxic or... I don't know, all these things without, without kind of flagging too many results, but it's in the, you know, it's been in the press, the NatWest situation. You know, you've got people like Barclays, it's in the press for the their partnership with Wimbledon. And actually, Barclays does some amazing work for society. Hmm. It, it's also the financial institution it is, but it's it's really challenging time to be in this space. And we love rising to the challenge of just supporting leaders to navigate it. One of the things that scares me is the more that people who put their heads above the parapet get shot down in that cancel culture, the less leaders are going to want to try and do the right thing. And I should also say, actually, just it's not new. Leaders have been looking at ethics and philosophy of organisations, what they mean and how to lead for a really long time. It's just maybe more zeitgeist and more in the press at the moment. So so we support leaders of organisations to lead responsibly and and your question about what is responsible is a really good one we have a point of view on that but we're also not overly prescriptive for the reason being you can't say to someone this is the answer for being responsible and actually the answer is it's deeply human it's about deep listening it's about character it's about empathy it's about including different voices and multiple perspectives. It's it's much more about those things. It's not a, I've got these policies, I've got someone in this role looking at this. It's not action as in activity. I mean, yes, that's a part of it, but actually being a responsible leader is much more about the way you consciously lead, to be, to be inclusive, to listen to others, to think about the impact that you're having. So we we do a lot on on that side of development of people and then connecting that into skills. So there's there's something about working on yourself. There's then something about the skill set people need. So a lot of the organizations we partner with, we're not for profit, so we do call it partnering. We're not, they're not clients. We partner and we want to work with them and build long-term relationships with them on, on what's a long-term journey. And a lot of them are saying it's hard for our leaders now to think about because we're in such a connected world, we can only really deliver our results if we work with other people, other partners and other organisations, and we need to understand the system we're working in. And actually, we've seen through COVID, if you don't um, understand the system your organisation's operating in, you don't see the risks that are coming around, around the corner. Everything's connected, the supply chains are connected, mm-hmm. the impact of what you do is connected. So how organisations think about the system they're operating in is a totally new skill set to a lot of leaders. It might not be in maybe a political environment, but to the majority of organisation leaders, that that that's quite a different skill set. So there's specific, there's a way of being as a leader, there's specific skill sets in order to lead into the futures that we need. There's the sustainability agenda, the digital agenda, geopolitical geopolitics is coming in now. There's this systems thinking in the sense of you're never in isolation anymore as an organisation. There's a lot around future generations and thinking about in the workplace now, especially for three and a half years, haven't we, where essentially now where we've not all been in this office environment that we were used to and mm. how that's playing out for people that have only had careers of five years or how, how do they know even what a workplace is? We have a totally new type of workplace now. So we have that quite a lot and how you encourage psychological safety in organisations and 
So there's a lot from the big picture and being through to skill sets, through to specific contexts to partner organisations. That's really fascinating to hear and describe it so articulately and really convey some of the very significant pressures and challenges that people leading organisations face. What really struck me was your point, well, a couple of things you point about being brave and sticking your head above the parapet can come with really painful consequences. And you can get shot down for not doing the right thing and shot down for doing the right thing. And you can't make anybody happy any of the time. But also your other point about the answer to that, about what is responsible leadership is being is deeply human. I think um, it's reassuring in a way because it's saying you don't have to be this superhuman genius who knows everything, who can do everything who is all omniscient or actually it's almost the opposite. It's about being more humble, you know, listening, just all those very, as you say, very human qualities. And I know a concept that you've mentioned to me in the past, and I'm getting, narrowing back the conversation here, is something about the concept of the personal boardroom. And I'm wondering if you can explain what that is and how that can help someone who might be in a position of leadership and dealing with a number of these pressures and wondering how they manage that in a sustainable way for themselves as well. Yeah, yeah. It's interesting, actually, quite a bit of the work we do with organisations is... is helping those leaders to to create this kind of environment for themselves and we do it on the program so it's a relatively well-known concept it doesn't need to be a formal thing it's essentially as you have challenges that you face who do you draw on have you consciously thought through the network of who do you draw on for those challenges so I think um, a lot of people probably don't realize they have one but they might have one or they might have the beginnings of one and some people call it an inner circle, some people call it a personal boardroom. But that idea that who do you go to for this specific leadership challenge that you have? So some people you might go to for a career challenge that you've got, or you've got quite a lot of time with the board at the moment, you're not sure how to best present to the board, you're not sure what they really want. So how do you prepare for like big board presentations? And you might have a couple of people in your personal boardroom that you're saying, I'm thinking this approach, does that seem right? Or you might have just some really sensitive, and I think these are growing as well in in terms of of what might get called an HR issue or something at work. You know, this is really hard to deal with, really hard to deal with. I think things like mental health in the workplace, if you're managing people with mental health challenges, it's really hard because you're trying to grapple with this. I need the job done but they're really struggling. How do I support them and deliver for the organisation? And those feel really uncomfortable in terms of being deeply human. And so you might have someone in your personal boardroom that you say, how do I navigate that? What have you dealt with? People will just shed a new light on something that they might just ask you questions. It's, it's a bit like different coaches or different mentors, mm. different advisors that you have. So it's just surrounding yourself with people and equally people that will criticize in the nicest with much love way. So people say, you're getting a bit ahead of your station. You probably need to part. Yeah, okay, thanks. The people that will literally say to you, actually, you're sounding like you've got all the answers there and you haven't. So just be a bit careful or that kind of stuff is equally really helpful. Yes. Someone who's going to be really honest or say what not what might not be easy to hear but is the medicine you really need at that point in time? Yeah. Go with that, Kate. You know, you're not going to be, you're not going to achieve that. Just let go of it. What yes. can you do? 
because you can't do that okay thank you I needed to hear that <laughs> yeah I know you're making me laugh because I know you know my husband who, who's in, that's got that skill set as well and the number of times I've sat down at lunch and said I'm really wrestling with something and I'll just ask one question you know something like why does that matter so much and I'm like oh yeah. darn it <laughs> okay let me rethink about that <laughs> yeah oh. so I know the value of having those people but you're saying be thoughtful about who you might call on for what and who and it's not that they all get around the table at the same time but it's different people to call on for different reasons it is and it's really important you think about where are your weaknesses and blind spots and have the courage to fill those too yes so that some of our former towers pairing colleagues are, are kind of the people that are my reality check yes yeah <laughs> they're brutal I mean we go for dinner every six months they can be brutal in some of the stuff that comes out but I just know that it's always the best intentions in the way yeah. that it's said and they're probably mostly right <laughs> yeah it's really grounding to have those different voices that you know just like Kate why do you even care so much about that it's not important you're like actually no you're right it's probably not thank you <laughs> yeah because you can get so wrapped up in the here and now or our current role and it's another good reminder why building our own networks can be so helpful as you go on in your career because some of those early relationships sometimes feel very safe ones to when you've gone your separate ways and to just go and be really honest and get an honest answer back as well so if we were talking another 10 years time (laughs) what would you like to be telling me that you're doing or you've done what's an unfulfilled ambition that you've got gosh it's a hard question I think it's one one thing that actually I'm very excited that it's it's happened in in the last week actually I'm very excited about is I'm getting the chance to go to the Paris um, Paralympic Games next year as as a board member there so we get to go to Paris and and be a part of the Paralympics GB team working through British House and getting to watch some of the sport and supporting the athletes and, oh, exciting. and um, the organisation. So that actually is an, that's something that I think I'd always dreamed of being able to do something like that. So that's a massive. I will have done that. I could tell you that in ten years' time, and it, just to be a part of that is is phenomenal. But in other things, it's interesting because the biggest thing I've learned is I no longer have a career plan. I don't, I had a career plan actually and it was tracking to a CEO trajectory and the closer I got to that the more I realized why was I doing that and who was I doing that for it was all a bit like is that just because I think I can or or anyway so it shifted I suppose and kids and COVID and various different things that happen in life made me realize it's what what's the life plan where does work fit into that and maybe it's just I grew up a bit to be honest but so my life plan is in 10 years time my kids will be finishing school and I guess our commitments in the house and where we live will change and it's thinking actually I'd I'd love in 10 years time to start prioritizing home and life more but still being able to have a career but maybe in a different way so my my goal is to have this these my vision was this role of chief conscience officer which I think is a it's essentially I mean I don't even know that it's a person it's a decision-making framework by which you look at organisations and you think, are they looking at the right perspectives when making a decision? How will it affect current and future generations in, in their well-being, in the decisions that you're taking? And in fact, there's great precedents in Wales. They do have the, the Wellbeing of Future mm. Generations Act. Yeah. And I'm looking at that at the moment in terms of a framework. Is that an applicable framework into organisations and governance? But I would love in the future to have a role that is working with organisations on 
it's probably a non-exec role or an advisory role on that kind of decision making. So I would love to still, I really want to keep working with leaders on the decisions they're making and how they are consciously aware of they are impacting society, whether it's their employees, their customers, wider society in what they do. Are they aware of that and are they taking that seriously when making decisions? So the plan, ideally, if I can, is shift into more advisory and non-executive director so I can have the flexibility to go to the beach more yes well what a great goal (laughs) fantastic well I wish you the very best uh, of success with that plan or general goal and however you get there but I'm sure you will get there and it's been such a pleasure um, talking to you on the podcast Uh, thank you for being so generous about and open about your career reflections and experiences and um, what helps you as a leader to balance the demands on your time and energy with enjoying just life today in the here and now and also how you work with other leaders to help them both do that and to think more responsibly about their impact as well it's been so much fun reconnecting and talking with you thanks for all the brilliant bits of advice you've been sharing in the conversation too (laughs) you're welcome I hope someone finds them helpful thanks Helen I know they will thanks Kate (laughs) thank you for listening If you've enjoyed this week's episode, please rate the podcast online, leave a review and share it with friends. And if you like to watch as well as listen, don't forget the videos are also on my YouTube channel. See you next Monday. Have a great week and keep on being brilliant. Brilliant.